hello and welcome back to the doxology podcast my name is lucas stock and with me as always is jens nelson this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the christian faith join us as we explore discuss and grow as followers of christ on today's christians of history episode jens is going to be introducing us to someone who in some ways may need no introduction um, but all the same, we're going to give him the the good old doxology COH treatment. Um, so without further ado, would you please acquaint us with the good man, Jonathan Edwards? Of course. So um, if you've already listened to Tuesday's episode where we talked about evangelicalism, uh, Lucas mentioned that I'm wearing a Jonathan Edwards shirt. Um, so if you're at all familiar with Media Gradier, um, they have, they had a, like a, teaching series that came out a couple um maybe about a year ago now on the puritans and so they had a bunch of like puritan designed t-shirts and so i got a jonathan edwards one so i thought it was just fitting you know today knowing i'd be talking about edwards so um yeah let's just let's just jump into it and according to a twitter i guess uh, an instagram poll that i did y'all think that jonathan edwards is probably one of the greatest american theologians of all time and that's not just Instagram that thinks so, but also, you know, academics and modern theologians will almost always say that Jonathan Edwards is arguably America's greatest theologian. Um, his, his life is marked by faithfulness to God, to his word, and he just has an unyielding devotion to bringing glory to God in all things. If you if you've ever read any of Jonathan Edwards' works, I mean, one of the one of the most profound ones. You know, everyone knows "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," like or at least they, they know that title. Um, but one of the most profound ones is um, "The End for Which God Created the World," and it's a beautiful sermon, beautiful um, writing that he did. So, without any more um, introduction, we're just going to get into his life. So, Jonathan Edwards was born on October fifth, seventeen o three. He was the son of Timothy Edwards, who was a minister. He was a pastor in East Windsor, Connecticut. His mother, Esther, uh, Esther Stoddard, was the daughter of the great Reverend Solomon Stoddard, who was from North Hampshire, Massachusetts. So uh, Jonathan was actually their only son, and he was the fifth of 11 children. So imagine having 10 sisters. Ooh, You're wee. the only dude. <laughs> and uh, he's got seriously like 11 or 10 sisters. That's just wild. Can't imagine. Uh, but he was trained for college by his father and his elder sisters. Every single one of the kids received uh, an excellent education. Um, Edwards himself in his autobiography and some of his notes that he wrote, um, some of his journals, he says that he came to know the Lord at a very young age, but he didn't fully embrace the faith until later in life, which at least for you and me, Lucas, I think that's a similar sentiment you know we've we've known the lord we've known christianity our whole lives but um we haven't come to embrace the faith until maybe later in life at least that's the case for me so i resonate with that a little bit but here let me let me kick you real quick where it hurts uh he went to yale in 1716 if you can do math he was 13 <laughs> so jonathan edwards so i know the world was a little bit different back then but imagine going to university at the age of 13 so in the following year, so when he was 14, he became acquainted <laughs> with John Locke's essays concerning human understanding, and they influenced him profoundly. Uh, he was interested in natural history, uh, even though he would go on to study theology. He, he continued with an interest in science. Um, 
he has some really interesting like he wrote papers on like these spiders that would balloon up like it's super random and like i don't know just kind of weird but he was he was really into science um and so you know while many european scientists and american clergymen sort of found the implications of science pushing them towards deism edwards actually went the other way so what we have to remember is that edwards is sort of like growing up in this era of ever-changing you know scientific discoveries you know think about newton and galileo and just all that was happening in the world a lot of people were having this push towards deism whereas edwards saw the natural world as evidence of god's masterful design and so throughout his life he often went into the woods because he saw the woods as his favorite place to pray and to worship in the beauty and solace of nature which is again something that i can resonate with too like when i've wanted to get away i mean when we lived in chicago i don't know if you felt this way lucas like when i lived in chicago and I drove back home to Wisconsin, it was like I would roll down the window and smell that manure because it was like <laughs> ah, fresh air. <laughs> like There's just something about being in nature, being in the creation that God had made. Um, so going on in his life in 1727, Edwards was ordained and entered into the ministry with his grandfather in Northampton. So I mentioned Solomon Stoddard his grandfather mm-hmm. he so he he goes to so he leaves university it's ordained becomes a pastor and it was actually in that same year that he met his wife so at the age of 20 uh, i've kind of forgotten the math here um at the age of like 23 24 he's ordained as a pastor gets married um and this this girl her name was sarah her father was one of yale's founders which is pretty interesting and she was the great-granddaughter of Thomas Hooker, who was a, a Puritan um, colonial leader who actually helped found Connecticut. Um, it's, it's really interesting, like, reading about these people who are pre-American Revolution, because they're all related to people who were, like, involved in making, <laughs> like, our nation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I have a fun fact we'll get to towards the end. But um, so two years later, so Edwards has been in ministry. He's sort of like an associate pastor, to use modern parlance. Um, but his grandfather passed away, and it leaves Edwards as the sole heir, the sole minister to one of the wealthiest, one of the largest congregation in all of the colonies at the time. So imagine this daunting task to be like a 24, 25-year-old man um, to take the place of a beloved pastor who had been pastoring for almost 60 years. That's a pretty, pretty tough challenge. To make matters worse, his church was pretty proud of their morality. They were proud of the culture that they lived in. They were proud of their reputation. Again, this was a really wealthy area, a lot of wealthy people. And this soon proved to be one of Edwards' most difficult tasks. He was trying to help his people understand the gravity of the gospel in light of their their comfort and their complacency. So as as the years go on, you know, Edwards is preaching. He's sort of... um, gathering renown um, not just in his church but in in england and new england um you know it was drawing the attention of nearby colonies and soon under the preaching of edwards under the preaching of whitfield um, it was in this time that the great awakening was spreading like wildfire you know in in northampton in particular it is said that i think about a third of the people were professing to be Christians. Um, so imagine like, you know, 12,000 people and like 3,000 are like professing believers. Um, but, and I'm, we could have a whole episode on the Great Awakening. So there's, I'm, I'm not going to touch mu- touch on much, but 
basically, as the flames died down, as the Great Awakening began to wane, so did the the religious fervor. And it became apparent that the seeming apostasy of many recent converts, it was basically requiring him to examine what had happened. Um, his people really wanted nothing to do with much of what Edwards was having to say because they were very comfortable and they liked the way that things had been done. So again, imagine for six, for, imagine for 60 years sitting under a pastor. It's all you've ever known. I mean, America isn't even a country. We're still colonies at this point. And all that you've ever known, you have this like young buck coming in, being like challenging all the norms and like just growing really frustrated with it. Um, One thing I just on that note of of him sort of examining the revivals that went down um, in his, in the community and and sort of examining like why people were experiencing revival and, 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 you know, reporting these conversions and then later the fervor dies down and they sort of fall back away. Um, his book uh, part of part of his reflections i think led to his 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 work um religious affections um i have an abridged version that i read in in um school published by uh regent college and um it's a little old but um it is it's nice it's it's pretty readable um there are like helpful marginal notes sort of explaining or summarizing different paragraphs and things so um i think that the Great Awakening, revivalism, all that kind of stuff is super interesting and in, just in terms of American history in general, but also specifically as it relates to Jonathan Edwards and his pastoral um, career and whatnot. Right. So I think that Religious Affections is a great is a great book to sort of to, you know, dive a little deeper into that, um, especially because it was written by someone who was there. Right. Yeah. And, I, and yeah, like, like I was kind of saying, so like one in, in that same vein, like a notable example of this, like this complacency, um, sort of getting comfortable with the norms was in regards to communion. So Solomon Stoddard had opened the, the Lord's supper, not just to believers, but to even unbelievers. And Mm -hmm. he was, he was convinced that participation in the sacrament would lead to salvation for some. Yeah. And I think just a little clarifying, if I remember correctly, I think this is referred to as the halfway covenant. So like if you, are a, if you are you know if two parents are believers they've been converted they're they're baptized they're confessing believers and they're living the christian life and then they have a child that child by virtue of being the child of believing parents is sort of able to you know as it grows up it's able to take communion regardless of it, of that child's own profession of conversion and i think the issue is that that wouldn't just be true of like while that person was a kid being raised but then like, like, he, you know, he was a pastor for 60 years, then, you know, I'm 40 years old. And I've never had a conversion experience. I've never professed my own faith, but I'm able to take communion because my parents who are now old or dead, you know, they were believers when they had me. And I think that's sort of if I'm remembering correctly, that's sort of like, you know, it wasn't just anyone off the street who was a non-believer, but you could right. be just a nominal Christian, as long as you were, you know, the children of or related to professing professing believers, which is definitely a little bit different than saying, you know, all those baptized and following right. the Lord is are, are are you know that's who the table's for. Yeah, and so when so when Edwards had come to the church when he started, you know, when his grandfather was still there, he sort of was like, my grandfather has been here for you know nearly sixty years. I'm just going to sort of follow his lead. But as he took over and began to realize, like this isn't biblical. And he, he sort of like sought to reform. Um, and so 
when he did and when he sought to like change things, his people pushed back. Um, you know, they sort of said, if he withholds it, if he withholds it from them, surely he will also uh, withhold it from us. That was sort of like mm-hmm. their belief. You know, if he's going to withhold it from some, he's, eventually he's going to, you know, withhold it from all of us. And so, I mean, I'm sort of condensing a lot of this, but soon the church had called for a council to convene. Like there's just all these things that they're like, we don't like that you're trying to change this. We don't like that you're trying to change this. Um, and and bear in mind that he's not trying to change things superficially. He's trying to be right. biblical. He's trying to be orthodox. He's trying to be faithful to the word of God. Mm. And um, basically the church called this council to determine if Edwards would, would keep his job or not. And roughly 10% of the congregation wished that he would remain. So the other 90 were like, good riddance. Wow. And so two weeks two weeks later, he preached what he thought would be his final sermon to the congregation. But really, I mean, so Jonathan and Sarah also had like, I think like 11 kids as well. So, Man. you know, they didn't really have anywhere to go on short notice. Um, they were sort of trying to find the Lord's will in, mm-hmm. you know, what to do. Um, so they sort of stayed in Northampton. But like also while this church was looking for a pastor, they're like, we need somebody to preach. So they like call <laughs> Edwards up. I mean, not call him up. You know, they, they, they you know, go over on horseback and be like, yo, Johnny boy, uh, can you come back for a little bit? So he was frequently called upon to fill the pulpit, but it just soon Awkward. proved to be too. Di- right. Exactly. <laughs> it, it proved to be too difficult. And so he finally cut ties for good. And man, I this also resonates with me because I've been a part of a church that had a similar problem. There was some pa- pastor who was trying to do some things, trying to change some things again, to be more biblical, to be more faithful. And it was met with disagreement and hostility and they forced this pastor out of his church. But we're talking about the greatest American theologian, you know, by many people's estimation is forced out of his church after years of, of ministering here. And so, in the time after he left his church, Edwards focused on his writing. It was during this time that he wrote Freedom of the Will, Original Sin, uh, The Nature of True Virtue, The End for Which God Created the World. These are just some of the finest works, I guess, that he's written. And even some of the finest works of early American literature that still remains with us to this day. Yeah, and, and also so he, during this time that he was writing, he, Stockbridge, I think it is, he was he and his family were doing missionary work among um, yep. Native Americans Natives. in Western Mass. And, um, you know, there's, like, it might, it's, I guess here it might be worth bringing up. There, There's, you know, he, he and his family owned slaves for most of, if not all, of his adult life. Um, and that is a huge problem, you know, obviously, like, I, I hope it right. goes without saying. Um, I think that it's without justifying slavery particularly um you know slavery of african and african descended people in the united states and the the colonies which is a particularly brutal form of slavery um without justifying that in the slightest i think it is important to note the complexity of what it means to grow up in in a world that has different values than what is right and how you can still be truly a a person of god david was a man after god's own heart and not only was he a murderer and adulterer but he was also a polygamist and that's not even the stuff that's that that's addressed you know what i mean right (laughs) um and that's that's probably an episode in itself but i'm just trying to say like um he wasn't this i i think there's some very uncomfortable tension between 
Jonathan Edwards was perfect and Jonathan Edwards was a horrible bigoted racist because we see him owning slaves and yet we get this incredible theological and devotional and pastoral work and we see him being a cross-cultural missionary that I think if I remember correctly I, I could be wrong but I think they actually had some success you know he, did, cer- yeah. he certainly wasn't out there trying to like you know colonize the tribes that were that were out by Stockbridge you know like um, so I, I just think it's worth noting that because that is something, especially nowadays, that comes up so much when people talk about right. Edwards. And I think it's rightfully so, and it needs to be talked about. Um, yeah. I, I just I want to be able to have the the nuance to acknowledge that tension that is really uncomfortable. You know, it's it really is. uncomfortable for me to be like, Jonathan Edwards was kind of awesome, and he literally owned slaves. And both of those things are true, and we need to, like, be honest enough to have that nuance. Right. And, and to his credit, and again, I'm in no way, there's no way to justify slavery. There's no way to look at what was done and to be like, we condone that. Like, that's not our, that's not our stance. But to Jonathan Edwards credit later in life, he did renounce such a thing. I, okay. I, I, mm-hmm. I think it's a little hazy on if he, what happened with his slaves or how he, how that uh-huh. all unfolded. But I know that he worked in opposition to the, you know, Atlantic slave trade Uh he Mm -hmm. was somebody who at least in his later life was not wanting it to be perpetuated he was trying to i think somewhat make amends for the things that he had done poorly and in in his estimation sinfully Mm -hmm. and so yeah in in no way are we trying to say anybody that we talk about every every single person that is on christians of history is a sinner right is flawed has inconsistencies some bigger than others and in no way are we trying to glorify this man um, but I think maybe as maybe we should just continue and, uh, and yeah. we'll we'll yeah. see here um, sort of how it comes to a conclusion. So years later, Edwards uh, reluctantly actually <laughs> accepted the call to the presidency uh, of Princeton. So of what we call today as Princeton. No big deal. And it was right. <laughs> and it's interesting. After his arrival, he wasn't there very long uh, in an attempt to lead the local population by example. So he's trying to be like a good president, trying to be a good Christian. I'm going to lead by example. Uh, he received an immunization against smallpox, and he unfortunately contracted the disease and died within weeks. And not only did he receive that, but I believe he gave it to himself. He was experimenting yeah. with, like he was, he was doing experiments with vaccines. On you know, <laughs> we mentioned he liked science. Like he was right. literally experimenting with medicine, and um, it's it's insane. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> so. So this is how we'll sort of wrap it up. Uh, Edwards seemed destined for greatness, okay? So by by all outward appearances, by all outward estimations for what is usually the norm, he had the right family name. He was the grandson of like one of the most well-respected, well-known pastors of the time. Um, he was invited by that pastor to be the heir of that wealthiest, largest church. Uh, revival broke out under his teaching for a number of years. I mean, so like if we're talking about success in the world got the right name Mm. got the right pedigree got the right you know position yet this faithful pastor for whatever that means was despised by the people that he loved and cared for for so long edwards's perhaps greatest example may be what we find in his failure um so pedigree guarantees us nothing Mm. if the greatest theologian in american history can be removed from his pulpit for standing for truth it can happen to anyone So one's legacy is not built upon popularity. It's not built upon platform, but upon faithfulness to God, whether we're in fame or anonymity. Um, Because the reality is, is like most Christians aren't known. 
Most Christians are not right. going to have their name up in lights. Um, and so one's legacy isn't about, I was famous, I was well-known, I was respected, um, but it's about faithfulness to the Lord. And so, you know, Edwards preached what is likely his most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God in Enfield, Connecticut in 1741. And, you know, a lot of people think that this was like, you know, a fire and brimstone, um, you know, spewing f- f- flames from heaven. Um, but this actually wasn't Edwards' actual preaching style. He wasn't a fire and brimstone. Like if you think of like a think of like a modern day IFB preacher, <laughs> and they're like screaming, they're yelling, they're like getting all riled up. That was not hey man. Edwards, right? Hey man. Uh, no, Edwards did not shout. He did not speak loudly. Um, he talked in a loving, quiet, emotive voice. He, he, it's sort of like, I think it's Calvin that says a preacher has two voices, uh, one that wards off the wolves and cares for the sheep. Uh Um, this was one where Edwards was caring for his sheep, for the people that were under him. Mm. And, you know, his audience, he, he moved his audience slowly from point to point towards the conclusion that they were lost without the grace of God. You know the 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 title "Sinners in Hands Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." He was trying to like stoke those fly those fires of revival to be like, guys, you cannot be complacent. What it means to be a Christian is not to just be. I'm from Connecticut. I live in Massachusetts. I'm a I'm a good a, you know colonial citizen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot Which of like we still struggle with modern... up here. I'd say <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So he left behind you know quite a legacy to say the least through preaching through writing. Um, he also left a great legacy through his progeny. Uh, he had 11 children, 72 grandchildren, uh, many, many of whom went on to do great things. So um, one of his most famous biographers said that the Edwards family produced scores of clergymen, 13 presidents of higher learning institutions, 65 professors, and uh, many other persons of, of notable achievements. Um, in the end, Edwards is a great example of leaving behind a legacy that is built upon faithfulness to the Lord um, and seeking to glorify him above all things. So mm. that's sort of his life in a nutshell. Obviously, there's a lot more that could be said, um, but for the sake of time, we'll sort of wrap it up. Um, I have a fun fact for you. Uh, this is one. So this is another thing about like studying American, like early American history. Mm-hmm. So Edwards's daughter, one of them named Esther, uh, was the mother of... Aaron Burr Jr. I don't know if that name rings a bell. Uh, he, you know, no big deal. Served as the third vice president once we became a country. Uh, but perhaps he's most famous for shooting Alexander Hamilton in a duel. <laughs> so Jonathan Edwards was a grandfather to the guy who shot Alexander Hamilton. So that's a pretty Amazing. fun, you know, American history fact for you. What a world. Um, if, if we want to like sort of real quick mention some works that, you know, we feel are good to check out of his. Uh, Lucas already mentioned one. It's on religious affections. Is that what it's called? Uh, religious affections is. is I, I don't know the the title of the one I have is just religious affections. A Christian's okay. character before God. There you go. That's that's one. Um, I have not read it, but I know that Lucas is is recommending it. One that I have read and can recommend is actually the sermon "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." Um, very comforting. Very um, like I said, loving, compassionate. Very biblically rooted. Um, another big work is "Freedom of the Will." Um, one that I actually recommend more often than any of the others. It's not technically by Jonathan Edwards, um, but it's, so it's a, a, a daily devotional, which are, is also something I don't recommend very often, <laughs> um, but it's called Always in God's Hands. And it's, uh, it's written by Owen Strand. Um, but w- the way that it works is there's like an excerpt from 
Edwards's writings, so whether a sermon, a book, whatever, there's some sort of excerpt. Um, he has a little bit of a commentary on it and then a reflection, like a, a, a biblical verse reflection that pertains to what's being discussed. Um, just really helpful. Like I found it really, um, really comforting, really challenging, really um, edifying. And, mm. and one of the things that I love, and this is just another, and we'll, we'll close it with this. This is just a really good example of the love the care that Jonathan Edwards has. Mm -hmm. So like the book title always in the hands of God, it comes from a letter that he wrote to one of his other daughters. So like Sarah Edwards, the mother had passed away. Um, you know, uh, I think that this daughter was having her own struggles in life too. So this is like a caring father, a loving father writing a letter to his daughter. And he knows like as a man, as a human, I can't care for you in all the ways that you need to be cared for but you, my beloved, are always in God's hands. He cares mm. for you. Wow. He loves you. And is there like any greater reality? You know, first of all, to fall into the hands of an angry, you know, truly just, holy, wrathful God, like that is a very scary thing. You know, no one wants to fall into the hands of the living God, but those who are his children, mm. to always be in his hands is a, a gracious, good, and this wonderful thing to contemplate. So that was sort of just getting to the heart of his care, not just for his own daughter, but for his own people. Right. So that's Johnny boy. Awesome. Johnny Eds. Well, thanks for sharing. And thank you so much for listening to today's Christians of history episode of the doxology podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at doxology podcast, email us at doxology podcast at gmail.com. Um, please let us know any feedback, questions, or episode ideas you have, including suggestions for people to cover in a future Christians of History episode. And also check out the link in the show notes below or to the side or wherever they're located to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Um, stay up to date with any announcements we have, um, blurbs on upcoming episodes, you know, all that good stuff. We're not going to spam you once a week. Totally voluntary. But um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to connect with you. So, um, don't be a stranger. Thanks, guys. Thanks.